0: to Matthew chapter 7, and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Working our way through a passage like this, that is the the whole Sermon on the Mount, we occasionally have to take a step back and look at the whole canvas or else we lose our perspective. There are some verses, or a couple of verses in today's uh, passage, like these first two, that are very familiar to us, even famous, but usually they're quoted without reference to their context. And you can hardly ever understand any single verse in the Bible without its context. And so we misread, or we miss something that's here that we should know about because we lose perspective. So um, stepping back to view what we've seen in the bigger picture over the last few weeks, in the first half of chapter six, we learned that we don't need to be hypocrites. And the reason we don't need to be hypocrites is because our Father in Heaven knows our devotion to Him, and that's all that matters. So we don't have to make a show of our charity and our prayers and our fasting, because the Father knows, and that's enough. The second half of chapter 6 is we don't have to be anxious, and we don't have to be anxious because Our Father knows what we need even before we ask. And so uh, Jesus says we can go about other things with our full uh, awareness and interest, like seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness. And now in uh, chapter 7, in the first six verses, he says that we don't need to judge others. And today we're going to find out why. We can go to God with whatever concern or need that we have. And basically, that's why we don't need to judge others. What motivates a person to critique and condemn others? (coughs) Like, what motivates you when you condemn others? (coughs) Uh, What was that? Feel better about myself. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly one of the reasons we condemn others. Many do it to feel better about themselves. You saw my notes. (laughs) Um, I can tell you that many people who judge others do it because they feel insecure, that they're socially awkward, when they have trouble uh, making friends or being recognized. They feel unimportant or overlooked and judging others gets them attention—the uh, attention of those that judge, especially. Uh, so they expose the flaws of others uh, in order to exonerate themselves. Uh, say, "Well, look at them. No. Uh, you, you don't accept me, but look at them. They're, they're not even true Christians." There are others who who judge that are trying to. Um, trying to prove something, prove something to themselves or something to everyone else. Um, And it's not just, they're trying to prove that they're right and other people are wrong, but prove that that they're the experts. And so we really should listen to them, because they know, and instead of ignoring them or or just writing them off or saying, well, they're kooks, um, if if they have a really good, you know, argument in which they're judging others, uh, they give us the impression that we really should pay attention to it because if we don't, we'll fall into the same traps as those they judge. Some people judge because they have an inflated ego and they really believe they are God's answer to the 21st century. Um, they believe that that they've got it all right and everyone else has it wrong. John McArthur and um, say <laughs> that out there. Um, You know, Paul Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, now when it comes to idols, we all know some things. We all know that we know some things. And he says, and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge inflates the ego, uh, or it can, um, but love builds up. Uh, I'd so much rather... Be corrected by someone who loves me and wants to build me up, than someone who judges me and just wants to tear me down. Do we never judge? No, we, we went over that a bit last week. I think I think how I want to live is this way. I don't want to condemn, but I don't want to condone. And I think the way to walk that path is. Through love. I don't need to condemn you. I have no need to that to do that. In fact, God said, uh, hey, Chuck, I'll handle that. Um, I, I'm i taking that responsibility from you. You don't have to condemn anybody, you don't have to judge anybody. But I am giving you the responsibility of loving everyone. So I don't have to condone either. I don't have to say, well, what you're doing is perfectly all right, if it isn't perfectly all right. Um, but again, I don't have to say what you're doing is perfectly wrong either. I can, I can just be there, the person God wants me to be, and love in the ways that he wants me to love, and we'll talk about that. And um, let the Holy Spirit do what Jesus said he would do. He'd come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. We, we do not need to equalize the imbalances in society by judging others. Or feel uh, better about ourselves by putting others down. We can take our psychological issues and our social problems to God. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock. Um, We can come to God with everything. And discover that he is not only equal to everything, but he himself is everything. And I think that when God is our everything, um, judging others is easier to let go of. Um, why? Because there are people that I have prayed for, not nice prayers. And um, I mean, if the Lord answered them, they'd be suffering terribly. But, um, that, you know, I, I, I felt like I've got to take this attitude to God. And I'm not ready to repent of it, I'm just ready to see something done about this. And um, I've taken it to God. And. I've gotten the impression from God that he enjoys that person. That that person has a story that they tell all the time, and God likes to hear that story. He likes the story of that person's life. It, it always interests him, because this is someone that he's made, and he's watching them develop, and he, and this is very interesting to God. He's numbered the hairs on their head, and he cares that much about them, which for some people, it's a much more difficult job than with me. Um, And and, and this is the point that Jesus has been making, I think he's really trying to pound it into us. Trust your Heavenly Father. Trust your Heavenly Father. Um, That if we need fixing, or we need (coughs) assurance that we're okay, and if we feel uh, neglected or rejected, left out, that we can take those concerns to God and um, he'll be all that we need and he'll provide anything else. I believe that these verses are also conditioned by what's gone before. In other words, that this person who Jesus tells to ask and to seek and to knock is the same person described in the Beatitudes. That this is someone who's learning to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness this is someone who wants to live as close to God as possible this is someone making the spiritual journey and this has become the the theme of their life Jesus is teaching his disciples that if they desire to walk with God all they have to do is ask if they desire to know God then they must seek him and and isn't this all through the Bible? If you read carefully, you'll find that word seek all over the place. Jeremiah 29, one of my favorites. God says, when you seek me, you will find me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, I will let myself be found by you. So if you, if you want to know God, seek him. And if you want an encounter, knock. Go and knock on his door and let him know. We're told that in the Greek that this could be translated, keep on knocking. Actually, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And that's the way it is because that's our life with God. It's a life of prayer. And we're always going back to the door and knocking on it. And uh, he never gets tired of that. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Okay, Jesus illustrates what he just said uh, to show them God's willingness to respond when he's asked and sought and when his door is knocked upon. Now, do you remember uh, me mentioning before the much more logic of the of the rabbis? It was a favorite among the rabbinical schools. Uh, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater, uh, from the finite to the infinite. If we humans, being what we are, know what it is to give what's good to our children if my child, if my child or grandchild says, "Grandpa, I'm hungry," I'm not going to say, "Here's a rock, go gnaw on it till dinner time." Um, uh, I want a fish. Well, you know, here's a, here's a snake instead. Uh, I hear it tastes like chicken. Um, <laughs> we know better than that. We know, and you know, I'm, I'm, I I I imagined someone sitting there saying, boy. That's pretty silly. Do you realize, last week we said Jesus had a sense of humor. I think it's coming out here. That's silly to say such a thing. No, no loving, no decent person would do that. He says, that's right. And you being what you are. You know this. And how much more your Heavenly Father gives what is good to those who ask. This is the third time Jesus has said something like this. He, he said, before your father knows what you need, before you ask. In verse 8 of chapter 6, he said, your father knows that you need all these things that the Gentiles seek after. In chapter 6, verse 32. In fact, it's how he ended these sections of scripture on hypocrisy and anxiety. He ended them with these hopeful comments, these, these positive affirmations about God's readiness to provide for our needs, to take care of us. Now, I think I know what I need. And I'll go to him and I'll say, God, I, I need bread, I'm hungry. And he says, no, my son, you need hunger right now. Be with it. I need someone to come along who, who really loves me, who so knows who needs to be my love for right now. I'll bring someone along when the need is real, but the need the real need for now is me. He always wants to fill those those places in our life. He always wants to, to be the first one that we turn to, not the last resort. So he urges us on. But what do you suppose Jesus is doing here? He's encouraging us to trust God. We, we assume we're on our own. We have to make it on our own. We've got to find our own way. got to make things happen. And we assume that, that God either doesn't know about what's going on with us, or he's not that interested, or he's saying, well, I'm just going to let you sweat <coughs> it out. Um, you know, God doesn't care that I've been sidelined. And other people are allowed to, to go ahead of me. And Jesus says, "Look, even you know what's good for your child," and he he's seeking to make God more real to us and more intimate, because he's speaking about our heavenly Father in terms that tell us He's really there and He really cares. How, how's the Lord going to get this into us? How how real God is? When all this other stuff seems so real, the stuff we can bump into, or the the stuff that chases us, the stuff that creates anxieties and fears. Jesus wants to make our Father real to us and let us know we can fall back into His arms and we'll be okay, that He can be trusted to be a good Father and infinitely more than that. In verse 12, Jesus says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So, Jesus closes this section by going back to his opening line in verse 1 Do not judge, or you'll be judged. And this is another way of of saying that, slightly different. He's not talking about judging, he's talking about treating. And, And basically, he's asking, How do you want to be judged? Harshly or mercifully. And uh, in verse 12, the question is generalized. How do you want to be treated? Well, there's your protocol for how you're going to treat others. Now now you've got the program. I I think that it's important here that we stop and look really closely Mm -hmm. at the words, because uh, what Jesus says about treating others the way we want to be treated that this is the law and the prophets. And if you've memorized the Sermon on the, La- uh, on the Mount, which most of us haven't, which none of us have, um, <laughs> you know, a bell goes ding, ding, ding. Law and the prophets, law and the prophets. Hmm. Way back in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to, to do away with all that old stuff. I haven't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I've come to bring it to what it was supposed to be because it's gotten messed up along the way and it's been mistreated and mishandled and people think that they're keeping the law perfectly when they're living in all the loopholes so now he goes back to the law and the prophets and he says in, in essence um, that this is how the law and the prophets are fulfilled by treating others the way you want to be treated. This is the superior righteousness because right after he talks about the Law and the Prophets and how important all that is, when you get to the real issues, he says, and unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he illustrates that by saying, you've heard that it's been said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you that whoever is angry at his brother hasn't committed murder already so, so the superior righteousness consists of a deeper level to the law than the rules on the surface and a deeper place in us than compliance to the rules because we can live in compliance to the rules without any love for God without making Him first in our lives. You can keep all the rules without knowing God. And you completely miss the point. To fulfill the, the law is to know the law giver, to surrender your life to the law giver, to love, adore, and worship the law giver. And when that is in the deepest place of yourself, your soul then you're fulfilling the law um, because you're going to be loving God and and loving your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus closes the circle that he began to draw in chapter 5, verse 17. He's also closing the smaller circle here between verse 1 and, and verse 12, and he gives us a simple formula to fulfill the law and the prophets. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And the specific words now come up in these places, the Law and the Prophets, and they'll come up again later on. Jesus will be asked, this final week in Jerusalem, he'll be asked by a a lawyer, an expert in the law, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus will say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Ding, ding, ding. There it is again. So what is he saying about the law and the prophets? That, well, the way Paul says it is whoever loves his neighbor fulfills the law that love for God and love for others is how the entire law is fulfilled. And you know this, just hear Jesus saying it to you again this morning. Can you do that? You say, okay, Lord, um, it's starting to sink in. Because I've been trying to be a good boy, or a good girl, and you know, treat everybody right. At least, you know, all my family members, and, and put up with the obnoxious ones, and You know, uh, still go to Christmas dinner with them, uh, though I don't want to. And you know, God is saying, but that's not really it. Not really it. Um, I don't want you just to keep a bunch of rules. I want you coming home to me. I want you with me. I love you. I want you with me. Listen, um, in the scripture loving someone is synonymous with how you treat them. In this regard, actions really are louder than words. John said, little children, and this is great, how he'd position, he's an old, old guy, and to him, everyone's a little child. Um, I'm always wanting to refer to, yeah, this young man, and I think, well, he's in his 50s. But to me, he's a young man. Um, you know, I was in high school before he was born, so, uh, so there you have it. Um, to John, everyone's a little child. He says, little children, <coughs> let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. And he's saying, love is not about saying I love you or giving compliments. It's about the way we act towards others. Our faithfulness to them. That's the truth. It's like <coughs> asking and seeking and knocking. The emphasis is on doing. Love is, is what we do. Helmut Thielke said, we are presented with a clearly defined and utterly simple task, namely to ask, to, to seek, to knock. And later he says, With Jesus, we are always immediately sent to work. When Jesus says love one another, he's sending us off to work. This exposes a a twisted interpretation of the scripture that I hear too often. I think you'll recognize it. Someone will say, well, how can I love others as I love myself if I don't love myself? Hey, I can tell you, you love yourself. Um, uh, oh, but you don't know how depressed I am and how much I hate myself. I know about depression. And I know that I would not have hated myself so much if I didn't love myself so much. I know that doesn't make sense, but I love (coughs) myself so much that I hate to see what I've become. I hate to see what I've done. I hate to to believe this about me, what I see. And it feels insurmountable. And so I get depressed because I love me so much. Uh, okay, I don't think I have to prove this. But someone someone has said, the problem is we love others as we love ourselves, and that's how we, we treat others, the, the way we treat ourselves, rather badly. And the scripture isn't talking about love as a feeling or adoring. It's talking about, in, in God's dictionary, uh, doing and treating. So, um... God doesn't say so much do you love me as what, what have you done for me lately what have you done for others lately what have you done that says what's in your heart matches what's in my heart verse 13 all of this brings us to a decisive point enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. The formula, treat others as you would like to be treated, is simple, but doing it is so difficult that most people give up. I mean, when you really see, treat everyone as you would like to be treated, does that mean I always have to let the other cart merge in front of me? I can't just speed up and let them merge behind me. doesn't mean I, I always have to, you know, whatever it is, uh, open the door, uh, help someone, you know, get in and out of car if they're having difficulty. <sighs> because it's so difficult, what Jesus demands, that... We naturally look for an easier way, or one that's less concerned with others. People out in the world will say, love is the answer. And it sounds like they're saying, you know, something so true. And yes, yes, if only we all loved each other. You know, if, if only we put flowers in the barrel of every muzzle. Um, that was pointed at us if, if only we you know taught North Korea to love South Korea um, you know all the problems would be solved and and so we sing what the world needs now is love sweet love or all you need is love and uh, skip merrily down the broad path and right through the wide gate you don't realize that this this, easy way of talking about love and thinking about love is is taking us the wrong direction. Because it's all this, this sentimental feeling and it's not the doing, the hard hard doing of love that's really required to get these things done. Jesus talks about finding the small gate. You don't have to find the wide gate. You'll just fall into it. If you you know if you move with the rest of culture, um, many are going that direction. That all the traffic jams are on the 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 wide broad path, um, but you have to look for the narrow. And there are few that find it. Jesus says, and partly because you look for a while and you realize what you're going to come to, and you don't want to find it, and, and partly because it's just. Too hard to go through <coughs> this narrow gate. Um, the, the natural path for us is always the path of least resistance. And and this is the only option that many people see or know. They only know the broad path in the white gate. Normal is strolling along the path into the gate. It's you know, no big deal. And, and it allows me so much freedom. Look how broad this path is. You know, I have so many options. I can zigzag, I can march, I can jog, I can walk slowly, I can uh, go on my bicycle, and the broad path is but the other path, you have to look to find it, and Jesus already told us, seek and you will find which is easier following rules or practicing love for everyone is it easier to share your time, your resources yourself than it is to follow rules is it easier to turn off the TV and get on the phone and tell someone you love that you love them uh, or someone who you hate chatting with because they never get off the phone to just make that sacrifice this time um, knowing that as soon as you dial the number you're going to be there forever you know sometimes God's really merciful that way You, you make the call they answer, and God says, Good work, child. And the other person says, Hey, I'm on the line with someone else. Can I get back to you? Uh, <laughs> you say, Yeah, uh, next month will be fine. You know, you can call me anytime. <laughs> I never pick up. Um, I think that we need to break the spell of our illusions about love. that... God's love cannot be reduced to being nice or neighborly or congenial or um, even um, honestly concerned about the problems of the world. that God's love is hard work for us mortals. I mean it's, it's natural for his infinite heart but it's not to ours and it does not it does not run down easy street, but it gives and gives and gives. For God so loved the world that he gave and gave and gave. Were the whole realm of nature and mine, that were a gift far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Helmut Thielic, he said, there can be no relationship with the Father that does not also include Relationship with our neighbor. Now, why did he have to say that?
1: (laughs) Party crasher.
0: (laughs) Yesterday, I experienced a little death. Um, It was a death, but it's a little one. Okay, so this this isn't. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. Make it really big. With Jim, I was officiating Tom (coughs) Jackson's (coughs) memorial yesterday. And I was fine. I thought that his family did a beautiful job of eulogizing him. I thought that Karen did a wonderful job of expressing her love for both Tom and and Joe, and eulogizing Tom. I thought Jim did an excellent job, even let him know that afterwards. Um, And I was fine with all of it. You know, there's the hurt. You know, I'm going to miss him. But I'm a professional. And I wasn't there for myself and to become all maudlin. I was there for the family. To bring them comfort and to remind everyone that Jesus is the resurrection and the light. That's my job. And I'm a professional. And I feel like I handled myself Professionally yesterday until the videos. And the video at the end, I was still professional. Ah, uh, there's Tom. Love that guy. And I miss him. But when towards the end it came to Tom with his grandchildren on his lap, I dissolved. I I ached so deeply. Now, part of it is when my grandchildren climb up into my life, what they're looking for, what they need, and what they find. And what I find, you know, one of my, one of my biggest joys in life. Okay, I don't get out much, but I mean, really. Um, and I thought of his grandchildren, to lose security felt when held in the arms of unconditional love. is a huge loss. The security of being held in the arms of unconditional love. You know, parents have a hard time loving unconditionally, but grandchildren, how, how else can you love them? I would rather not love anymore than repeat that pain over and over and over. And it seems to me that life brings us back to that pain again and again. And I think, well, if I if I don't love, then it won't hurt so bad. And I feel the appeal of the broad path over the narrow path. Treat others the way you think they should be treated. That that works better for me. Treat others with justice and judgment, showing some mercy, like the grandkids. But, but it seems to me that for many Christians, Jesus is just an insurance policy. What's insurance? It, it's something you hope you never need. You know the house burns down. We lose the car. You um, know, a, a major critical illness. And um, you buy it just in case. And what you're buying is peace in mind, peace of mind. You can say, well, at least it's insured. And so we pay the, the premiums. <clears throat> Belief in the God of the Bible is really difficult to maintain in our culture because it's hardly supported anywhere. Those periodicals do not support it, especially scientific periodicals. We have explanations for everything. Um, Stephen Hawking, uh, quoting the famous mathematician Laplace said, "Uh, I have no need of that proposition. I think is how it goes. When Napoleon asked him, well in all these mathematics, where's God? Well, I don't need to add that factor into my equations. And that's the way our culture is so much. <clears throat> the, the God bless you is at the end of a news broadcast. A lot of times you sound very hollow. And it's the only mention of God. It's the only time when, you know, there's not even any thought of it, because it's certainly not in the perspective of, of most of what you watch. And definitely not in terms of the producers of the show who are interested in rating. So, we find it hard to believe in God, but just in case it's all true, I mean, even though we struggle with if you ask, you receive, oh, yeah, sure, I've asked for a lot of things. Just in case it is true, we pay the premiums, go to church. We make the donations, maybe sometimes giving something extra to charity. We, uh, we occasionally read our Bibles, we pray. We pay the premiums just in case, but God never has our heart. We, we do this without bringing our whole self to Him. We're bringing everything to Him. We're paying the premiums and forgetting about Him the rest of the time. He's just not there in the heart of everything that we do. So Jesus hands us this dark invitation to enter the small gate, to find it, and to take the narrow path and enter the small gate. I call it a dark invitation because the flip side of it is, is very dark. But I want to tell you this. Don't start there. Don't think that the whole Bible is why <coughs> broad is the path and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many enter there and narrow is the path and treat others as you want to be treated don't start there start with verse 7 ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened to you for those who ask receive those who seek find and those who knock it's opened to them um, Don't start with verse 12 treat others as you want to be treated it's, that's too impossible. Uh, other look, there are two paths, all right? Two gates. You want to go the right path. You want to find the right gate. Ask for directions. Seek and ask. And when you reach God's door, knock on it and let Him reveal Himself to you. Would you stand, please? I feel like I've been a little bit hard on you today, (coughs) and really, um, I'm much harder on myself, but um, I think I still have a residual of of yesterday's somberness hanging over my heart, and it just makes everything more serious to me, and so I apologize if you (laughs) you feel terrible, because that wasn't what I wanted to do, (laughs) Um, and so I remind you of God's grace. May the grace of God that gives us the ability to fly be on all of us this week. May the grace of God that makes up the difference between where we are and where we think we ought to be be on us this week. Mm -hmm. And may that enable us to live exactly as God wants us to live. May we not see those people for whom we have nothing May we see everyone for whom God has given us something, something to share. And may we see exactly what we can do and have the energy of the Spirit of God to do it. The Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.